welcome one and all to the Film Harmonic with your hosts, Noah East and Andy Ferguson. In episode 63, we will discuss the latest collaboration between actor Ethan Hawke and director Michael Almereda, the Nikolai Tesla biopic of sorts, Tesla. And in our pick six segment, we will rank the six best films in the career of Steve Martin. So anything he's involved in at all, whether it be simply just writing the film and not even in it, that counts too. So he turned 75 years old recently, so we decided to unleash this countdown in his honor. And that leads us into the throwback challenge to close out the show, in which we took advantage of the Criterion channel once again for our first viewings of Adam Agoyan's The Sweet Hereafter from 1997, starring Ian Holm, Bruce Greenwood, and Sarah Polly. So, Andy... Theaters opened back up this week, and it appears we dodged a bullet with Russell Crowe's Unhinged because the early returns are less than good, shall we say? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was number one at the box office, but there was no competition. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, rough, rough uh, um, guinea pig movie. I mean, you know, obviously it's uh, they're just trying to test the waters here. And uh, I think we did. We definitely dodged an oncoming traffic (laughs) with that. Not seeing that movie. We will begin this week with a new film from director Michael Almereda, which pairs him up again with Ethan Hawke, who played the titular character in his modern retelling of Hamlet. Hawke this time tackles the titular role again as history's most underappreciated and probably most punk rock inventor. Let's discuss Tesla. Tesla. So Tesla. (laughs) this is a movie and uh this i think is your first uh this is your introduction to this director's work right yeah i believe it is okay and i'm told that that's rather important uh yeah um so (laughs) he does things his own way it's his style um for good or, or bad for better or for worse He's at least operating in his own world. Um, And so I can't even imagine, this is my fourth film I've seen from him. Uh, I saw the first film I've ever seen from him and was that Hamlet film you mentioned. Because I am an Ethan Hawke completist, I saw that very early on. And then, since then, I've seen Marjorie Prime and um, what's the other film? The the Experiment. Experimenter. Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of knew how he rolls, (laughs) but I can only imagine if this is your first movie from him, like, I don't know, five minutes in, you're probably like, uh, what am I watching right now? Well, that's the thing. Like, it doesn't get like weird uh, that early in it. Like he, he waits until like 20 minutes in to like really start breaking the fourth wall and doing some, like some, some taking some liberties with, uh, the period piece aspect of it. Yeah. I mean, but the modern aspects do come in pretty fast and there's even, and there's even a moment, which I think is a funny moment and a good moment. Uh, with ice cream cones pretty early on and you're thinking I was thinking like wait a minute are there even ice cream cones around at this time you know 1880 <laughs> something you know yeah, <laughs> Dude, yeah I don't know if there were or not but this movie doesn't care about historical accuracies at all yeah and no. it even tells you uh you know that it doesn't care because at, at the end of that scene it you know mm-hmm. our narrator says uh, this probably didn't happen this way <laughs> or this didn't occur this way yeah our narrator is Anne Morgan JP Morgan's one of his I think his youngest daughter, mm-hmm. played by Eve Hewson, in a strong performance, I would say. I know I know it's a strange bit of it's a weird role. Yeah, it's a real tricky role, not just because of like the unrequited romance between her and Tesla, but also because she serves as the film's narrator and a fourth wall breaking narrator and kind <laughs> of a a for lack of a better word, time traveling narrator almost. It's kind of interesting, you know? It doesn't always work, but I kind of like where like it's shooting really high. And, you know, it's really, there's an ambition to just that part of it that you got to really at least hand it to these, to these filmmakers for trying it. I mean, (laughs) you know. Yeah. That was one of the things that really stood out to me was, you know, regardless, I I thought it's, you know, it's really uneven and it's, it's definitely messy, but um, it's an ambitious mess and it's a pretty entertaining mess at the same time. So like as much as you want to dock it points for being such a mess, um, you got you almost have to give it all of those points back 
for the scope and ambition and just and and doing something original and having fun with it. Yeah, and I agree. So I I was docking at points for those same reason, but I was also there was a tick up for me a little bit more than my down my down votes be, just because of how much I enjoy well the lead performance in this. I really think that Ethan Hawke operates on the same level as Almereda so well that they kind of made that decision. You can tell in the performance it's so um it's not just reserved it's um it's very intentionally wordless a lot and he's got a lot of facial expressions um but he also is not concerned with being accurate in his depiction of just the you know the croatian dialect at all either he does it at times it comes in and out i think that fits the mood of the movie in a way yeah he's you know the 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 accent is rather subtle. It's and and I think you mentioned once before when we were talking about it that that it that it's he almost seems to take scenes off entirely from the accent as if the director was like, don't worry about it here, just get the performance part of it right, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And and I think the best way that I can think of to describe Hawk's performance is it's he he portrays him with a quiet confidence. You know, he's he's very assured in his ability, especially at this stage in his career, that he can do this sort of. Mm-hmm. And there is a kind of quiet confidence to this performance that that lends uh, 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 it, it helps it out quite a bit. Quite it a bit. does, and then there's also another kind of confidence in Kyle MacLachlan's portrayal of Thomas Edison. It's there's more of a boastful confidence in that performance, and that's why I think when they butt heads, it's really there's some strong moments between those two in this film. Yeah, I, I was almost every bit as as impressed by McLaughlin's performance as I as I was Hawks because he was one of the one of the the characters, one of the actors that I was a little bit worried about especially biting off more than they may be able to chew with with a figure like Edison, but McLaughlin really does it in this really like I don't know, it's another really kind of like calm, quiet confidence kind of kind of thing where um, he plays Edison really, really well. He, you know, it's not as um, comedic as you might expect from somebody like McLaughlin, um, but there is a little bit of that in there. But uh, there's a sincerity to it, and and he really almost seems to understand the guy because uh, as complex of a person as Tesla appears to be, um, Edison, for for all intents and purposes, from what we can tell historically, was a really complex guy as well. And McLaughlin seems to really nail that. Yeah, there was more of a, if you can say this for the time, mainstream aspect for him too, as opposed to Tesla, I guess. So he he balanced the genius with the being able to win over people better than I guess you could say. And 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 I think that um McLaughlin really does pull it off. I think you can also see that he you can tell he's worked with Almareda before as well. He you know, he has he was also in the Hamlet film. Um yeah, and, and another performance that I think we were both kind of worried about was Jim Gaffigan as George Westinghouse. I think that um, where uh, my immediate thought was like, Oh no, what is he going to do with this? How is he going to portray this? I don't even know. At first I didn't even know what character he was going to play. I was just like, why is he in this? Yeah. I was pretty nervous. Yeah. But I think overall he, he's very more than passable in this film. Yeah. He's he, good. He, he asserts himself really well. He, he is good. I mean, the first few lines that he had i was like oh boy here we go mm-hmm. and then you know and my mouth started to open a little bit i was like wow he's kind of nailing this he's really reserved he's 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 you know he really fits the part he looks the part he does with those mutton chop looks great um you know sideburns and beard uh big thick bushy mustache he looks like he's added like 30 pounds for the role almost too but i mean he really like seems to fit nicely into this period yeah, um, I'm not even a big Gaffigan fan in general. I don't really care for a lot of his work. I've been seeing a lot of him because like Amazon keeps, I don't know if you've seen this, but they keep throwing that Troop Zero thing down everyone's in everyone's face. Every time you turn it on, Prime, it's just everywhere. Uh, so I was pleasantly surprised by the performance. And really there's not, I don't think there's anyone in this film where I'm like, I don't like this performance. Even even the actor who plays um, J.P. Morgan, Donnie uh, Keshawars, yeah, I've seen him in things before. Yeah, he's he's been around. It's just not you don't recognize him because he just looks so much older and different in this film that I was like, wait a minute, where have I seen him? He's got a lot of credits. I mean, he's got he's in Ad Astra as is the most recent film we've seen him in. I don't remember what he played in that. He's in The Wolf of Wall Street. He's in a lot of stuff. Um, but he's 
good as JP Morgan. Yeah, honestly, <clears throat> the uh, the performances are are is the performances are probably one of, if not my favorite aspect of the film. I think the performances are pretty much terrific, just down the line. Yeah, absolutely. And then you get to the execution of what they're trying to do, and they're trying to do a little bit too much, I think. I mean, but overall, I like I liked more than I didn't like, and so it got me over the edge with the performances. Um, some of the creativity they did, some of the Tesla coil scenes, some of the backdrop, almost projector-like backdrops of certain sequences, I actually thought was an interesting vibe it created. And, you know... A lot of swings, some misses, some gap doubles, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I really love the way it's photographed. I think it's photographed really beautifully and with this a very, like, dreamy-looking uh, 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 palette to it, especially not just the colors but the lighting as well. Um, and uh, for the most part, there are a couple of moments where the music did, didn't seem to fit, but mm-hmm. for the most part, I really liked how they, they, they meld the, the electronic... Uh, aspect into the orchestral stuff because I think that's pretty fitting for this and overall Mm -hmm. I kind of ended up getting the sense of like I felt like I knew I had a better feel for for who Tesla was and by the end of it I was like this seems like the kind of thing that Tesla probably would would have enjoyed you know he would have enjoyed seeing this as kind of a fitting strange very artistic uh, 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 tribute to to the man you know I think so. Yeah. Ultimately, it, it gets over the hump. I, I do have some issues with it, and I'm sure everybody will be talking about the the karaoke scene near the end. That I mean, it's already on YouTube. That single scene is already on YouTube with a lot of views. <laughs> the first few moments of it, I was like, "All right, this is kind of cool. I like. I actually kind of dig this." But then they end up doing the entire song. It lingers and lingers, but because I love the song, <laughs> I get why you wouldn't like that it lingers because you don't like the song. And we don't need to talk about it a lot here, but uh, it's that moment towards the end where they're like, you know what? Yes, we are going to keep getting weirder and we're just going to play this out. So you either like it or not. You got to give it points for the ambition at least. Yeah. Ultimately, it got over the hump for me. I'm giving it three stars. And I'm a little bit higher on it. So I'm a three and a half. Yeah. It has problems. It's not great, but I just, I admire the film. Yeah. I I don't think it's the kind of film that I could recommend to everyone because there'd be, there would be a certain there'd be a, a large number of people that would upon recommendation would watch this and think like, what the hell oh, yeah. is this? Yeah. But for certain people, if I know, if I know their, um, their predilection for certain types of films, this, I could confidently, uh, uh recommend this to the, to the right guy, you know? Yeah. Th- there's an audience for this, but it's a very specific type of audience for sure. Yeah. All right, it's time to take a break. We're looking to shift gears just ever so slightly from electrical power and light transmission stories. Noah and I dive deep into our choices for the six best films in the career of Steve Martin. You can check to see where Cheaper by the Dozen 2 shows up when we return in 60 seconds. Welcome back to the show. It's once again time for our Pick 6 segment. This week's topic was spawned by my lifelong admiration, well, borderline obsession with the career of one Steve Martin. As we wish him a slightly belated three-quarters of a century old birthday, it's time for us to rank our choices for the six best films in the career of Steve Martin. So, Noah, I finally get to introduce you to kick off the countdown this go-round. What do you have for us as your sixth favorite Steve Martin film? So, so this is pretty unprecedented. I, I'm, I'm fairly certain this is the first time we've ever done this. Maybe. I mean, I feel like we might have done it one other time at most, but it's still rare. Yes. <laughs> so um, I, I'm starting because you need to put the cherry on top of this because mm. as much as I love Steve Martin, this is your account. You, you are, you 
are probably the biggest Steve Martin fan that I know personally. Um, and so for me, this was this was a weekend filled uh, with rewatches and first time watches. I even at one point received a um, I received a, a text from you that basically said you have to watch this and this. Uh, uh, otherwise, we're not doing picks. We can't do it. We can't do it without and you so, seeing those for the first time. Uh, oddly enough, number six on my list is one of those films, mm. and that is Roxanne. All right. Um, directed by Fred Schapese? I've always, I don't know if it's Schapese or Scapese. I don't know. I don't it know. It, it doesn't matter because it, this is the one that's famously, uh, it's famous for being a adaptation of uh, Cyrano de Bergerac. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's it's the one where Steve Martin has the big nose. Yes, he does. Um, <laughs> if we were doing if we were doing the list just based on the best Steve Martin performances, this would probably be a little higher on the list. Actually, it's a great performance. Um, there's one scene in general, in, in specific, uh, the bar scene. It's my favorite Steve Martin single scene of all time. It, it's it is it is a barn burner, man. That's such a great scene. But he, I mean, he's terrific uh, uh, throughout throughout the whole film but that that one is a is an all-timer classic scene this is is um early one of the earlier um in a line of when steve martin was cranking out terrific romantic comedies that were original um well i mean to say that this is original and yet based on you know a a a centuries old story got a steve martin flair to it though yeah (laughs) and and it's really really a blast uh daryl hannah gives a really lovely performance as the romantic interest. Um, and it's, it's one of it's another one of those where it's, it's a whole small town full of people. And, um, that's almost going to become a theme for some of these films, Maybe, uh, yeah. whether they're uh, the Steve Martin ones or not, because even our throwback kind of fits. It's into true. This. You're right. Um, and so it's, you get a nice little, uh, ensemble cast for the most part of, of, you know, some of the townsfolk that are, that are a blast. But, uh, this is Steve Martin's through and through. And I love, um, how it takes some of the pillars of of the Cyrano de Bergerac story, like the fact that he's a he's a great duelist and fencer, oh. and they kind of fit that they in, established that early on, right out of the gate, the very first scene <laughs> when he when he bests these two these two rogues. It's an extended sequence with a tennis racket. Yeah, I mean, um, Jess was looking at me going, "This is how this this is the first scene of a movie," and I said, "Yeah, it is," and it's. It's still going on, you know. <laughs> and he's doing he 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 throughout the film he does some some what can only be described as as gymnastics almost where he's it's pretty terrific. Yeah, he's doing flips and and jumps and landing and climbing up uh, uh, the the trellises of a house. And Great it's, scene. It's just a lovely little film, and it's it's kind of a blast. I had seen it, but it had been I mean we're talking thirty years. Okay, now, I thought you'd never seen it before. since I was a little kid. So gotcha. I, I might as well have never seen it because I don't remember. I didn't remember a single thing from it. Um, and it was a delightful watch. So Glad that's to hear number that. six on my All list. Right. Perfect. Number six on my list is a movie I could not leave off because it embodies Steve Martin. Um, just, I mean, all of these movies that I picked basically for the most part are movies that couldn't have been as good as they were without the specific presence of Steve Martin. And this is also a film that's, basically based on something else. And that's father of the bride. Um, there are so many wonderful scenes of narration in this movie by Steve Martin that I don't necessarily think this is a great movie in general, but I always have fond memories of his particular, the way he tells the story in this movie is so it's warming. It brings you in immediately. It invites you into the movie and it's just, it's one of those early 90s romantic comedies that I just, I mean, I can't help but be swept up in it. I'm like, I get why people could point out saying, well, this is why it's not that great. But it's just, I, I, I'm i a sucker for it. I'm a sucker for this film. I'm a sucker for both Father of the Bride movies. And, you know, there's that, there's the chemistry with Diane Keaton that's great. There's the long time history and friendship between him and, and Martin Short that shows up pretty well. 
And it's just, it's a really fun and just lovable movie that you can hug, basically. Yeah, I was I was thinking while you were talking, I was thinking it, it's kind of one of those movies that's kind of like a warm blanket. Like it's really mm-hmm. comforting. It it, it's not super high stakes. It's just, it's, you're not going to be stressed out or anxious. Like it's uh, like a Safdie Brothers film or anything. <laughs> it's, it's very calm and it's, it's something you can easily put on and it's, 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 it's really lovely. Um, and it's, I, you know, there's not very many of Martin's films that I can think of where he narrates. This is you not know, really. There's a few, but there's a few. A couple, but this but yeah. is this is a great example of like of of him being almost a storyteller. Mm-hmm. And yeah. one, one of the things that I noticed on my list is that um, um, four of the six that I picked, he either wrote or co-wrote. And uh, and and so this kind of gives you the the understanding of of Martin as a storyteller, and he, whether that's from his early stand up days, or just you know he's written books and done and done all sorts of like variety shows and stuff. He is he's an, an entertainer, but also a storyteller. He 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 can really spin a yarn, you know. Oh, absolutely, he can. And yeah. this this movie, um, really kind of. It's really well directed to on on, the, on a lighthearted level. Nancy Myers is is really skilled, and she knows how to kind of construct this type of movie and create just one of those movies that, if you just want, like you said, low stakes. If you want something that just like just put you in a good mood immediately, this this is one of those movies that does it. Yeah. It just does. Yeah. Well, number five on my list, I have a feeling is going to be a little bit controversial for how low it is. Mm. Um. But uh, I, uh, and this is another one that he co-wrote. I, I got to be honest, I've never loved The Jerk. Um, I like it. I think it's, it is very funny. But there were at least four other films that I liked more. And so number five for me is The Jerk. Okay. Um, it's, it's early Steve Martin. Um, and he, he is... He's he's pulling almost everything out of his bag of tricks, at least the bag that he had at his disposal at that time. I think the reason that I like later Martin is because he, the more mature he got, the more mature his his comic sensibilities, his timing, all of that seemed to get. And um, and there's there's kind of a theme with me is that I, I like I like mature Martin and and kind of like the romantic comedy or the or the dad version of him a little more than I do the the silliness because. He's he's always kept the silliness there, but he used it in um, in in moderation, sparingly. Yes, yeah, this and, is this is more juvenile, Martin. It's I mean, it's funny for sure. Oh, sure, but, and uh, it's really original, and and where it goes is is unexpected, and you know, it it's it's you it keeps you on your toes. I I, I love Bernadette Peters in it. Mm-hmm. But she's a revelation. Not only is she just super super adorable, cute. Um, but, uh, the scene on the beach with them singing, singing the song and she pulls out her trumpet and starts playing. <laughs> I mean, I, there are scenes like that that are just golden for so many different reasons. The scene with Carl Reiner playing himself. Carl Reiner. this is the, the, this is the peak of their collaboration. Yeah. They had a lot early on. He actually kind of is responsible for bringing Martin into the film world. And Martin got into it kind of late. I mean, he was you know, not young, young in this, even though this is early Martin, he did a lot of television before he really broke into film and Carl Reiner is basically responsible. Yeah. I mean, he was in his thirties already. Yeah. Yeah. Well into him and early maybe here, but, but yeah, Carl Reiner directed so many of his films early on, even before this and after this a little bit, but yeah. Um, I mean, it's, this is on a li- This would be on most people's lists. Yeah. I, it would be like really, really high on most people's mm-hmm, lists, but, mm-hmm. um, I, it's it's just never been one that I absolutely love, but I also didn't feel like I could make this list without it because of how original and fun that it is. All right, fair enough. So that's number five for me. What's number five for you? I'm still not used to I know, having right? a five after yours. Yeah, you thought you were going four number four. After, after, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. yeah, so number five for me is, um, speaking of co-stars that are just flat out perfectly cast with him and so adorable, um, I have 1992's House Sitter as number five on my list. Goldie Hawn's first collaboration with Steve Martin. Um, I think you know this, but we haven't talked about Goldie Hawn much on this show. I also love Goldie Hawn. I'm a huge Goldie Hawn fan, and when you put these two together, it's just it just strikes gold. I mean, this is um, one of 
at least three collaborations with Frank Oz that Steve Martin has. He collaborated with Frank Oz on Dirty Rotten Scoundrels first, then this, and then later on he would do it in Bowfinger. I'm not sure who directed Little Shop of Horrors. That might have been Frank Oz also. It seems Ozian, doesn't it? So it's probably Oz. We'd have to look at that. But this movie has a fun premise that could be done. If it wasn't executed as well as it is here, it would be eye-roll worthy. And I don't blame people who find this so-so, but I actually think it's worthy of being on this list. It's basically just that it's just this setup where he plays, he plays an architect and he is so in love with this woman. He's, he, he's, he's been with this woman for a while and he's looking to propose to her. And he, the first scene in this movie, he drives her blindfolds or drives her out to this house he built for her and doesn't realize that she's kind of done with the relationship. And he shows her this house, proposes to her and dumps him. And it's a fun opening. It's brutal. It's funny. But, um, the rest of this movie is basically him just trying to win her back. And when he meets this, basically a con artist played by Goldie Hawn, he, um, she becomes involved in his life, whether he wants her to be or not. And she poses as his wife and lives in this house that he built. And then comedy ensues. And, and it's two genius comedians working together and it all plays out in a way that I always, I, I'm swept up by this movie every time, every time I watch it, I watched it the other day. I'm like, I don't like this. I'm sure they're not going to like it as much as I used to, but I always do. Dana Delaney plays his longtime girlfriend who dumps him and she's really funny and she's charming and you hate her at the same time and she's kind of snotty, but Goldie Hawn and Steve Martin have a great chemistry. I've actually never seen their out-of-towners film, the Neil Simon remake they made together. I don't know why, but... I've always heard it's kind of so-so, but this is the Goldie Hawn, Steve Martin collab that I really like to embrace. Well, and they were both, you know, at the peak of their fame, at the peak of their powers. They, I mean, they were ninety-two. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. And so, like, um, they, their, their chemistry on set was was, uh, it's it's palpable on the film. Like, mm-hmm. it's this is this is peak for both of them. And um, and while I don't have it on my list, I do have very fond of this film I'm, this was a one that my mom liked a lot then when i was talking to her about um that we were doing this list she one of the, her first questions was is the house sitter on your list <laughs> and i was like well it didn't quite make my list but we'll see if it makes andy's so she'll probably be thrilled it to made at least, my list to at least hear us talk about it i know. didn't think it was going to when we first started this but <clears throat> the rewatch i was like yep i'm in love with it well number four for me is one that i knew was going to be on the list um and that is also Frank Oz, and that is Bowfinger. Mm. Um, the one thing I do want to say about Bowfinger is that um, uh, Steve Martin is terrific in it. He's so funny and and like in this very like dry scumbaggy kind of way. But holy cow, Eddie Murphy! This is it's this the is, all time best Eddie Murphy performance, isn't it? it? It might be. That's that's one thing that I was I hadn't seen it in many many years, but I, I was taken aback by how funny Eddie Murphy well, is. And in Martin this. actually gives the movie to Eddie Murphy. You yeah. Know? It's his screenplay and he gives all the big moments and all the, everything. It's not to take away from the performance, but it's such, such a great meld of just a performance with a writer giving him so much to work with, you know? Yeah. And, and one thing that I found really interesting is that, uh, uh, the, the Eddie Murphy famously plays two characters in this film, the, the <laughs> Kit Ramsey, the, the, the Tom Cruise, uh, avatar basically in this, the and, shithead. <laughs> and then, uh, uh, his, the, the nerdy version who we later find out is his brother. <laughs> um, uh, and that nerdy version, the brother doesn't show up in the film until the 49 minute mark halfway mm-hmm. through the film. And I, I hadn't realized that because I, in my memory, the whole film was about that and it, and it's not, yeah, he doesn't ex- show up until yeah. halfway through. There's an that. extended sequence where they are filming just the, the first Eddie Murphy character, they, the celebrity, they're trying to get scenes with him. Yeah. Before yeah. they, before the twin or even shows up. Yeah. When the twin shows up, I, I had to, I paused it and, and was just taken aback. I was like, wow, we're this far into the movie before this character gets, gets introduced. But man, it's super funny, especially that first scene where that character shows up. And, and <laughs> Eddie, it's basically his audition. Yes. Um, I mean, that might be Eddie Murphy's best scene ever. I think it is. He's, he's almost unrecognizable. The braces. The braces are the, amazing. The, uh, the affectation in his voice. My, one of my best friends growing up uh, when I was a kid was named Jason, Jason Anderson. 
Um, and he was almost uh, that guy. Like, <laughs> like, like I imagine that's what Jason is like nowadays. Amazing. He, I mean, it, it was like looking into a mirror in the future. Um, <laughs> I feel like I knew that guy, you know what I mean? Um, it just, uh, it's such a funny, funny character. And just the, uh, but the Kit Ramsey character is really, really funny too, because of the, the craziness. And he goes to the, he goes to the, 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 um, Scientology, uh, uh you know, the, the little, it's kind of a fill in for I mean, Scientology. It's basically called, the Tom called, Cruise character, as you said, called yes. Mindhead. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it's just priceless. This is Eddie Murphy's film, but, but everybody else in the cast is really, really, really funny too. Um, yeah, Heather Graham's really funny. <laughs> Christine Baranski is so Baranski, good in this film. She, she's perfectly she, cast for this. She's never been better either. Yeah, it's what what a just a, a great another great ensemble and just a hilarious hilarious movie. I loved it. Plus, it also gives you the chance to see Steve Martin with a ponytail, a clip on ponytail. Like it's a clip on, but he it's te- he tears it off, which you would later scene. wear in Baby Mama. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness, so funny. <laughs> So funny. So yeah, Bowfinger number four for right. me. What's number four for you? Four for me is a film we discussed already, and that's Roxanne. Right. Um, always going to be on my list. This is my dad's. Was my dad's number one Steve Martin movie. So I watched it more than any other Steve Martin movie growing up. So I've probably seen this more than any other Steve Martin movie. Um, it is special. It is. I mean, <laughs> there are scenes where, you know. I think there's scene the scenes what they do with the fire fire station staff is really funny in this movie. They do a lot with these characters. They don't treat any of them really as just side pieces or, or extras. All the guys have personalities and there's even Fred Willard in there. I was yeah, like, wait a minute. A treat. I forgot I'd forgotten he was in this. Plus he just died. He did. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah um he looks pretty young in this. Well, the movie's thir- 33 years old. Um yeah. and so there's really funny scenes with how bumbling and inept they are and how <laughs> scared of him they yeah. are. Well, know? yeah. And uh, <laughs> the sequences where they're warning the new guy, you really can't stare at the nose and you're going to want to, and you're going to be, you're going to feel gravitated towards it. <laughs> yeah. And the way they handle the first sequence where he stares at it for an extended period of time, but, but Martin's in such a good mood that it doesn't matter. It's so funny. Yeah. Um, and then, Really, it's just like we we already discussed it, so I won't go too far. But that that one scene is my all time favorite Steve Martin scene, the twenty insult bar scene. Wow, that was something, man! Every time I see it, I'm blown away by it. It's amazing. It's an amazing display of comic abilities. He co-wrote the film. Do you think he wrote that scene? Yeah, I would imagine he did. It's a lot of very Steve Martin esque stuff in there. Yeah, and to be able to deliver that that scene that performance mm-hmm. in it to, to be able to del- deliver all those jokes the way that he yeah, did it's got to be he must have been so be heavily involved yeah exactly and then i i've just got to say since we haven't mentioned her yet there's a great chemistry as like best friends chemistry with, between him and shelly duvall in this movie oh it's adorable yeah I, I like her performance a lot in this movie i'm glad you you remember to mention that because i failed to mention that she's really she, good in it she's lovely she really is and it's really, really nice to, to see her in something you know it's a terrific movie and it doesn't treat the daryl hannah hannah character with any kind of she's a very intelligent character you know it's not she's not aloof to what's going on and she's and they actually i mean she, there are extended sequences where she's discussing you know, um, she's, she's, she's very intelligent in this film. She's, and she connects with him on that level. And it, it's a really fun dynamic that they get to in the romantic kind of triangle with the other character that comes into play. And it doesn't cheapen or make anyone look stupid necessarily other than one character who just kind of is a dum dum. but it's just, it's a, it's a, it's an adorable movie that doesn't, it doesn't have a mean bone in its body. It's a very good film. Yeah. Um, speaking of a very good film and probably the Steve Martin film that I've seen the most, number three for me is Ron Howard's Parenthood. Um, <clears throat> I had anticipated this being around the five or six mark and a rewatch of it really did wonders for me. Um, I, this is such a, you and I talk, uh, you know, via text message over the week that, that this is one of Ron Howard's most underrated films. It is. It's, it is a perfect little romantic comedy that is a, again, a big ensemble cast. Um, and everybody plays their parts really, really well, not just the adults, but the kids too. 
but especially the adults between um, uh, Steve Martin and Mary Steenburgen together. I mean, that that is a Perfect. terrific pairing. Diane Weiss is so oh, great in, in her, her scenes as, as this exasperated mother Tough who's role. divorced, has this kid played by by Joaquin Phoenix uh, at the time, Leaf Phoenix, mm-hmm. um, who she doesn't know what to do with him. And then her daughter has got this boyfriend played by Keanu Reeves, a circa Bill and Ted, and he's it, he's in full Bill and Ted affectation. Basically, he just mode. came off the set of that movie and right into this. Yeah, I, I just... And, and that's that side of the family. And then you have uh, his sister and her husband played by Rick Moranis. Love Rick Moranis. And the, the over-parenting. Their daughter does. is priceless. Uh, that's one of the best kid roles from that, from that decade. She's so good <laughs> in it. Um, and just, it, it, it's this huge, big family. Don't forget Jason Robards. I love and, him. and the guy that plays the, the Steve Martin's brother. Tom Hulse. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's this big, um, this big ensemble cast and everybody you know, it's kind of like these turnkey performances and they all have to fit right for this thing to be a, a near perfect little, little piece of, of romantic comedy entertainment. It's, it's, um, it's much more lewd than I recalled it being, cause I think it's PG 13, but there's mm-hmm. some, there's a, a dildo, uh vibrator joke, um, <laughs> in the middle of it. And there's a, there's a scene in which his sister is telling his wife that occasionally she gives her her husband roadhead if she notices he's tense. And then later on, Mary Steenburgen <laughs> gives Steve Martin roadhead and it results in a car accident. <laughs> and I didn't remember that at all from when I was a kid That's because great. I didn't know what any of that meant. You know what I mean? Sure. I just thought they got in a car accident. She got sleepy. Yeah, of course. You know, um, it, it's a little dirtier than I recall, but um, but I think that's part of the fun of it is that, you know, it's... It, uh, it's, it's not like talking down to its audience. It's not like a, a general audience's, uh, romantic comedy and family comedy. It's a comedy about families, not necessarily for families, but you know, um, we watched it when I was a kid and it was a staple in my house. So I definitely could not make this list without parenthood. I just, I was surprised at how high it climbed on my list. Well, usually I announce this sooner, but it is number three on my list. Excellent. And so what I can add is uh, there are, yeah, there's something about it. This is my favorite era of Ron Howard, even though he went on to be much more successful. I liked what he was doing around this time. He made this film and around this same time he made The Paper, which is really underrated. This huge ensemble, um, 24-hour period film, which I forgot even qualified for that it probably would have been on my list yeah that he kind of juggled really well another kind of comedy drama that movie had a ton of amazing actors um but he handles it really well here and i think he gives time to every character equal almost in this movie it's surprising how much you get to know everyone in this yeah and movie. that's so hard to do with such a big cast it's, it is i mean and, and it takes a really skilled director an actor's director like ron howard to pull that off yeah there's even a new or, or there's even a really extended sequence a couple of different sequences with robards and Hulse, where you kind of see how he favors that child and always has and there that's why it's been so detrimental to everything in that person's life and it's interesting to see where that goes and I think Martha Plimpton's really good as uh, Diane Weiss's um, daughter in this yeah. too. Uh, it's just, and it's it's an all timer lead performance, and he anchors the movie. Steve Martin is there in the beginning. The introduction in this movie is brilliant, it's well, a, especially for you. Well, yeah. oh, the very first scene. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I mean, it, it might be my favorite scene of all of these films that I watched. Is that that first scene where it's within a memory. He's a little kid talking to the usher at the ball game that his dad left him mm-hmm. with on on every year on his birthday at the Cardinals game. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's so meta and strange, and I just I, I thought it was brilliant and just a gorgeous way to start out a film. It is. It's such a good good scene. Brings you right into the movie, and then there is one sequence. Also, speaking of great scenes, there's a scene at a birthday party where Steve Martin tries to entertain the children. That is like vintage. Martin has a way of doing physical comedy that I just really enjoy. And in that scene, there's, there's, there's a lot going on, but there's a cowboy sequence and it's just, 
He's so funny in those sequences. He gets to do a fair amount of physical comedy in this. And that's why I, I, that's kind of what I was referring to when I was talking about the jerk about how that's almost all physical, silly comedy. Mm -hmm. He gets to do plenty of it in this while still being really charming and sensitive. There's the scene when, when the kid catches the fly ball at the game and he starts just dancing on the field (laughs) and he's doing that, like that very, that, that very silly and like stilted dancing that he's notorious for from his, from his stage work. Mm-hmm. He does a bit of that in this as well. And the physical comedy when he falls mm-hmm. off the horse and the kids are all chasing him around the yard as he's playing Cowboy Gill who killed Cowboy Dan. Oh, Cowboy Gill. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's just, uh, yeah, it's, it's got a little bit of everything that you love about Steve Martin and that's why it makes bronze for both of us. It does. Yeah. So we're back to me then. Yeah. Number two. This I'm really excited about. Um, this was a first time watch for me and it shot all the way up to number two. Wow. I fell absolutely head over heels in love with LA story. Beautiful. I love this movie. Love this movie. And, and I can see why you like it so much too, because it's got this very like David Wayne debt, wet, hot American summer style comedy to it where like it's, it's absurdist comedy Mm. and it's, and, but But it's it's, satire as well. Exactly. And the way that it's used in this film is to make fun of Los Angeles. Beautiful. And I, and it's, it's so well done. And it's, I mean, it's, it's like, it's a joke every 10 seconds and sometimes even faster than that. Um, and so you're chalking all of these really fun little bits all throughout this film. And it, it, it's, and, and it's set up in this way that it exists as in this alternate reality version of LA that seems to, to still uh, um, be present in our reality. It's very strange. Um, there's a mysticism element to it with it's the a fantasy film in a way too. Yeah. It is. It's fantastical. And it's all anchored by this really, really great Steve Martin performance <laughs> and the chemistry that he has um, with um, her last name's tenant. What's Victoria tenant. Victoria tenant. Yeah. Um, and again, a pretty decent sized ensemble cast, but it's uh, what a lovely romantic comedy. I fell head over heels with this movie because it's really, really funny, but the romantic stuff, it's actually sold on me really, really well. Mm-hmm. And I bought all of that. Um, and it's, it, I, I, I just, I almost wanted to watch it again when I was done with it. That's, it's short. That's, it's 90 minutes. Oh, it's super quick, super quick. It's a terrific film. And, and, uh, uh Martin as, as this wacky weatherman, it's another use of a really great use of his, of his silliness, but not like, but not amplifying it too much. It's, it's just the right tenor of his silliness and using him as a leading man who can also be a romantic interest, him being charming, but yet sensitive. It does, it does all of it so very well. I, this was a slam. It's a really for me. great film. It really yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. Glad to hear you liked it or loved it. That's I loved good. it to the tune of silver. Silver. All list. right. Yeah. Silver for me is planes, trains, and automobiles. Um, this was one of many collaborations between John Candy and John Hughes, but it is the only Steve Martin collaboration with John Hughes. Um, and man, talk about two. Perfectly cast performances up front in a comedy. I've talked about this movie on this podcast enough. I don't have to go too far into this, but I think John Hughes, this might be the best direction he's ever given in a film. It looks great. Um, you know, he's, he's very good at making a Chicago movie and the Chicago in the first bit of this movie is gorgeous there's a funny scene with Kevin Bacon and Steve Martin in the very beginning of this film. Yeah, I was trying kind of, to hail a cab. I was kind of wondering if if Kevin Bacon was going to show up later on, and I realized yeah. no, it's just he's, they just he's use here him and he's this. gone. Yep. Much like Chevy Chase and Rick Moranis in L.A. Story <laughs> popping up. Oh yeah, Rick Moranis with the with a Cockney accent. Don't get me started. Keep, Amazing keep, character. But we're talking about plane strings. Anyway, John Candy maybe his best performance ever. Um, Steve Martin is very good. He gives the movie to John Candy and in a way in this movie. Yeah. That's one of the things that I noticed. And while this isn't going to make my list, cause I, it was uh, much like the jerk. It's just, it's not, it's not the kind of Steve Martin that I particularly love. Um, it, it probably would be like seventh or eighth on my list, but uh, I noticed a lot of similarities between this and Bowfinger in that this is John Candy's movie. Mm-hmm. He's terrific in this. Like really, oh, really funny as like the he bumbling, was special. bumbling aloof guy, but he delivers all of his lines like with precision. Um, and, and much like Bowfinger, like you mentioned, he, he kind of gives this, he takes a backseat intentionally to mm-hmm. let Candy do his thing. And I think the film is better off for it. Um, 
and and but it's it's kind of a rare Martin performance because he's kind of he's kind of seething and and mean. He's and on angry. edge. He's he's on edge. Um, yes, but which leads to one of my all time favorite Martin scenes, which the movie famously earns its R rating for. Phenomenal sequence at an uh, at an airport terminal. The, the, the rental car. Rental car, yes, the rental yes, car yes. desk. God, yes, man. Um, it's I, I laugh out loud hysterically during that scene because of the way he delivers the lines, the way he pronounces the word "fuck." <laughs> you fucking rental car. Yeah, yes. Yeah. It's amazing. I don't need to go on too much longer, but um, I'm a John Hughes head. I'm an '80s film, '80s person. Um. And this was always going to be very high on my list. But there's one movie I like more than that. And we'll get to that in a minute. Um, I, if we had guessed, if we had done guesses, I think you would have guessed my number one pretty easily. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles would have been my number one guess for you. Mm. So I'm very curious because uh, there's, a, there's a couple different choices there could be at number one for you. Number one for me was a slam dunk. It's Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Mm-hmm. I've always adored this film. Um, it's it, other than parenthood, this would be the one that I've seen the most. Um, parenthood was my guess for your number one, for number one, mm-hmm. it, it, not far off. Had it not <laughs> been for three rotten scoundrels and you forcing me to watch LA story. <laughs> um, yeah, man. Uh, dirty rotten scoundrels is again, it's, it is a great performance for Steve Martin because he gets to do a lot of oh the, boy, the, doesn't he? He gets to do a lot of the physical stuff, especially with the Ruprecht scenes. Oh boy! He gets to do the silly physical humor, but he also gets to do this like this charismatic fake suave guy thing where he's trying to be charming, um, and then and then has to pretend to be refined later on in the film. So he, we get to see many different versions of Martin, and that in and of itself is a blast. But then when you pair him with Michael Caine who uh, is, an, is a real like mature actor's actor um, and not a guy that you think of when you think of comedy. But he, Not usually, no. But he yeah. is very, very funny in this film as well. They're both good, yes. And then it introduced us to Glenn Headley, who great. is pitch perfect in this film. Yeah, R.I.P. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I forgot about that too. Um, I, I've always just had such a blast with this film. Um, uh, they remade it recently yeah, into they, a film called The Hustle with Anne Hathaway. Genders, and, yeah. Rebel Wilson, I, I will, didn't see it. I will refuse to see it because of how how much of a very special place in my heart that Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Yeah, this one had nostalgia me. points for you. I knew it would always oh. be on your list. I didn't know where it was going to land for you. Big, big time. Yeah, just um, yeah. All-timer. I love what they do with it as far as you know, showing that these guys think they're untouchable, but their egos are so big that they think they can just run over any woman they want to and then they meet their match and it's really, it is, it does offer up some fun bits, especially when Headley shows up, which is pretty late into the film, honestly. Yeah, she, she shows, up, shows up really late and then pits them against one another and then, and then it becomes a, like it was already combative and a competition, but then mm-hmm. that just it makes it even more. And then the wheelchair scene. That's a great scene. Oh with the legs. Goodness. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That, that's why I love, love, love this film. If I was making a list of my favorite comedies of all time this would probably be wow. on the list that's wow. how much i love it so all right well number one for you we're here number one for me is the movie the movie that is the number it is embodies so this movie puts you in the mind of steve martin and won't let you out of it like this is the ultimate like what is it like to be in steve martin's head and that's la story yeah unbelievable piece of work the rewatch only solidified it for me bumped it up a little bit i've always really liked it but having read his novels too, this very this has that feel. Um, where he doesn't leave you any time to breathe. You have to just keep up with the movie, keep up with the pace of it. Much like you have to keep up with Sarah Jessica Parker's mannerisms in this movie. <laughs> She's jumping around and jumping on him constantly and swiveling her hair around. She's very funny in this movie, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, Richard E. Grant is excellent in this film. Yeah, yeah. Very yeah. young looking. Um, there's a lot of fun performances. Mary Lou Henner as his girlfriend who clearly will not be his girlfriend for much longer is just scathing. And she's funny, though. Oh, Very yeah. funny. There's so much great dialogue in this film. He has a best friend who he does little projects with. <laughs> they take they go roller skating in art museums. Performance art, he calls it's it. It's performance art, yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And they videotape it and she edits it and she's always just editing these videotapes when he comes We never, we never see the result. While he's drinking some weird fruit smoothie that tastes like ankle sweat or something. 
<laughs> There's too many. I mean, you have to watch this movie more than once to contain and absorb all of it. That's why I said when I was done watching it, I almost wanted to watch it again, but it was like two in the morning and I wasn't about to do the that. The way he sets it up, the way he presents LA and its absurd, you know, ex- eccentricities, when he finally gets to the fantasy element of it, you buy it, I think, if you are into what he's trying to sell you. Because when you get to the whole freeway scene that starts the journey of his character, you either in or you're out. And I was sold and I'm always sold and I'm still sold on this movie. And it is a wild, weird movie that's on drugs. And this is what it's like to be in the mind of I, who I think is a perfect, a person who has always balanced the absurd with the genius. I, th- I truly do think he is a comic genius, you know, I I get why people don't think so and it's fine, but I just think he's like you've told me recently, he's a national treasure. And this is one of his finest pieces of work. This is the most Steve Martin movie there is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's one of the reasons that I loved it so much on my my very first watch the other night. I'm glad you had it that high. It was great to hear that. Yeah, I I I thought when I was done, I was like, Andy is gonna be shocked when this is this when I put it this high on the list. And then I thought no, I don't think I'll be that surprised because it's just that good. It I'm surprised it was good. number one on yours. So good. My rewatch just, like I said, man, I'm I'm bowled over by it. Well, happy, great piece of work. Happy 75th, Steve. Yes, let's hope he has at least 25 more in him. You you got a you got a couple of real big fans here in uh, in Indianapolis. Yeah, because you're listening and you don't have many other fans. <laughs> All right. Well, um, now it's time for the throwback challenge. And uh, we took advantage of the Criterion channel again. Um, and uh, uh, what we decided uh, upon this week was 1997's The Sweet Hereafter, directed by Adam Agoyan. Um, and it stars Ian Holm, Sarah Polly, Bruce Greenwood. And it's based on um, it Russell Banks, I think his name was. Yes. Yeah. And yes. This, apparently this was a this was a very popular novel at the time. Or a few years prior, and this is—I uh, read that it's—it's it's noteworthy because many people consider it a, one of the more faithful adaptations of a book onto film, um, one of the more successful uh, adaptations, and it's also noted as one of the great Canadian films of all time. Yeah, this movie is very well regarded, and I always knew about it. This is the first. 1997 was the first year I really, really started becoming obsessed with films. I even have this, I've had this for a long time. I've had it since like 99. I have this giant book that is an encyclopedia on just that year because it was such an insanely good year for film. Somehow I never saw this movie. I tried to make it a point to see every essential 1997 film back, you know, then and and years after it. But I don't know why this movie always slipped through the cracks for me. So this is the week. I finally crossed it off the list. Um... I have seen Adam Agoyan films before. I've seen Exotica. I've seen Felicia's Journey. I've seen Chloe. I don't think I've seen any others, but that's three. So this is my fourth Adam Agoyan film. And, you know, it's a lot going into it thinking most people say this is by far his best movie. So I'm already holding it up really high. On, I'm like, okay, so this is going to be a masterpiece? Like going into it, like, let's see. Um, this movie has a very specific view, how it's going to tell its story. And um, there are some scenes early on shot beautifully, seen in a car wash that's just excellent. Oh, yeah. In the beginning of this film, the way it's shot. And there are a lot of great, beautiful looking scenes with scenery and, and all this kind of stuff. Um, And the way he like kind of lifts his camera at times at near the end of scenes and it'll just wander off away from, from its subjects. Mm -hmm. That kind of thing is kind of beautiful. Like I was, I was kind of taken aback by how, how much control he had over his camera and, and really like the way he set these things up. The score is, the score is excellent. It's pretty good. Yes. Especially this is one of the things that wasn't in the book, I guess, is the, the, how he ties in the Pied Piper. Uh, that, that there's a whole, lot of that the story of the Pied Piper mm-hmm. into it and using some of the, the the that pan flute music to kind of represent that Pied Piper um, I thought that really just only added not only to the mood but just the the overall feel of the film as well mm-hmm. I, it's uh, I, I, 
as far as the directing goes, this is really, really, really solid. I think it's a well-directed film. Absolutely. Yeah. The film is told out of sequence and I think it ultimately does work to its advantage. Yeah, because I didn't realize it was out of sequence until about halfway through, and I and I thought uh, once I once that that clicked for me, I was like, "Oh, this is after." Mm-hmm. I mean, like not just after, but like af- not not just after the bus crash, but like after after. Oh yeah. And once that clicked, I was like, "Oh wow, it's, he's really doing something." It's special. in pieces. Yes. Yeah. Um. I. I, I, when it comes to the performances, I am not entirely on board with all of them. I have to say, I don't, there's, there's something that felt slightly miscast me in a couple of the performances. I want to say name one. Cause I, I think I have a guess. <laughs> I don't dislike Bruce Greenwood in this film. I don't, I think he's perfectly cast for the role. Oh, I see. That's, I'm a little surprised. I like him in this film. Actually, he's missing a tooth and he uh, is. that's, He's a nice little touch. Nice little small town touch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I th- I, th- I actually really like him in this as well. I think he's good. Yeah. Um, there are, there's there's a character who is quite a very uncomfortable character. Right, right from the beginning, you get the feeling, what's wrong with this guy? And what's up with this guy? And it's Sarah Polly's father in this film. And the way this actor plays the role, I'm not sure if he's doing a good job or if he's doing a great job and making me feel uncomfortable. It's it's a weird performance. Yeah, I landed with the latter. I thought he did a great job at making me uncomfortable because he's unflinching in this. I, I don't think it's giving anything away to 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 point out that there that a that a decent sized plot line, a thread in this, is the incest uh, uh, sub narrative. And um, it's uncomfortable when you f- when they first reveal it, because of how comfortable he seems with it, how natural he seems with it makes you extra extra creeped out by by not only it but his performance as well so um uh, you see i i kind of feel the opposite as you i i thought that was one of the better performances in the film because of how uh, assured and like and and calm he was through this whole thing like he must have been thinking no this is fine this is you know i have a normal he surely didn't think that his daughter would ever lash out at him you know (laughs) or or end up paralyzed right Yeah. yeah 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 It's a brutal movie. Emotionally, it's very brutal. Um, yeah. Uh, and, you know, I like Ian Holm in this. I like him. I don't love him. I think you do by the look on your face. Oh, I thought he was. The, I think the reason that I absolutely love him in this film is because he has multiple scenes where Agoyan just lets him go. And, I mean, he he delivers some monologues and has a couple of, like, just uh, duets, for lack of a better word, with some of the other characters that... I thought I, I couldn't take my eyes off of home throughout this film. I like him in it. I don't know what it is. I I couldn't get over the edge and love his performance. Um, there's a lot of stuff that keep, kept me at arm's length as far as the, as far as the performances in this film. Um, the bus driver, I found her a little bit to be overacting at times when she's kind of, when she's recounting things yeah. with home. Yeah. Um, the woman who has an affair with Bruce Greenwood at the hotel, I thought she was okay. Sure, she's kind of a, a, a non-starter. Just you take her. Yeah. Leader, they don't do a, a lot with her husband, and I thought he was interesting. Yeah, he's, he's, they set him up at the beginning. I'm like, okay, this guy is he going to be a factor later on? He seems like he's going. To, something's going to happen. With I've seen guy. him in a lot of other. Yeah, Maury Shaken. Maury Shaken. A yeah, lot yeah. of stuff. Yeah. Um, and and you know, yeah, he he should have had a bigger role because he's terrific. Mm-hmm. I, you know, along those lines with you, um, I wasn't like blown away by Sarah Pauly in this. I thought that she was good, but then in the second half of the film, I thought she was excellent. I thought the final scenes, she handles them so... You should really think about this young of an actress trying to handle that scene, you know, when she's basically giving her version of what happened, that she's testifying. Um, how she handles that scene, I think, was pretty pretty powerful. There's not a lot... There's not a whole lot to this film, honestly. Like, it's, you know, only a few things happen. Mm-hmm. And by the end of it, I thought to myself, I was like, wait, that's it. That This is it. That's oh, look, about, look at the time. It's, I mean, it's yeah, ending now. It's, uh, it kind of breezes right past because there's not a whole lot that happens. There's the setup. Then there's the airplane stuff. Then there's the accident itself. And then there's the aftermath. And then there's the testimony. And then mm-hmm. by that time, once the testimony is over, there's nothing left. There's really just 
less than everything goes left. back to normal and that's it the small town yeah goes back to what it was I, I was really impressed by the airplane scenes because it's that talk about just a duet between him and another and another uh, actor Sh- those, those are really those good. were interesting yes like um yes so that character i really liked she was very sincere and very worried for him and for her former friend yeah those were interesting scenes however the other side of it with his daughter and her scenes and the phone booths i thought she was actually not good not good uh, the the amount of times that the, that uh someone is called daddy in this she film. says it way too many times yeah and she's overdoing it a little bit not just yeah. in, in the in the saying of that word but in the performance in general i don't think she really you know i don't not that i've spent time with drug addicts or i know a lot about them but she seems like she's imitating it rather than trying to you know like embody it yeah well i'm getting the sense that you didn't really love this film i really like it i oh. really do i think overall the direction is beautiful the cinematography is great it sets up the mood of the town really well um there's some things that yeah i wasn't blown away by like i thought i was going to be overall i think half the cast really worked for me half didn't there is a weirdness to the music that sarah Pauli's band plays it's very like this sounds like it was rec- pre-recorded and now they're performing it live and it sounds like a CD's playing in the background. Sure, yeah. It's really it took me out of the scene a little bit. It's not a lot of the movie, but it's still a main part of like her and her dad's dynamic that you know, when she ultimately experiences her tragedy, she can no longer have that dream and so that is a a through line. Yeah. And the music itself it's like you have to do it this way. Yeah. So it weirded me out a little bit. So there are little things that kept me from loving the movie. Yeah. So I'm at a three and a half on it. I'm at a four on it because I think less of those things bothered me as much as they bother you. Um, I'm still just haunted by the actual bus crash scene that, I mean, that was so well done and, and it was and a really great performance in that scene by Bruce Greenwood. Well, they chose to keep the perspective on him a lot, which was a very good choice. Yeah. Yeah. He actually, I'm really not a big fan of him in general. I know you're not, but he's, He's good in this. He's yeah, quite good. He is. This is the kind of Bruce Greenwood that, that uh, he plays the like the the handsome, rich, smarmy guy so often that it's kind of obnoxious. So when you see him with this, with fake hair and, and a missing tooth and everything, um, you're kind of like, okay, th- this this stands out a little more to me. And he has a very good scene with Ian Holm. One scene they have together that's very strong. Yeah, I'm glad I've seen it. Yeah, me too. I'm I'm, I'm thrilled thrilled that i that i enjoyed it as much as i did so well that's our show for today remember to subscribe to the film harmonic on apple podcasts leave us a review and a generous rating if you're feeling so inclined subscribe also on spotify google play and wherever else you happen to find your podcasts send us your suggestions for the throwback challenge to the film harmonic at gmail.com and uh well we will be back next week with the new film from Academy Award-winning director Dean Parasote, entitled Bill and Ted Face the Music, starring Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves as the aforementioned Bill and Ted. And in our Pick 6 segment, we are going to dig down a path we haven't before, and we are going to rank the six best child performances of all time. So in the history of film, anyone who was under 14 or under when they we're in the film. They are up for, for grabs here. So this is a long list that we have to go through. I think we've seen a lot of them already, but there are a few we need to kind of really uncover th- for the first time. Paper Moon is one of them for me. I think it is for you. Yeah. There's I've, a few. I've never seen The Piano. Yeah, um, that's one you'll have to cross off the list, even though neither one of us really like Anna Paquin, but it's no, a performance it, that was Oscar nominated. It, it's She still holds the record as the youngest person to ever win an Oscar for it. So it's like, if you're going to do this list, that's a major one you got to cross off the list. You have to see it, list. yes. Yeah, yes. exactly. So this is going to be a lot of fun, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've already got some cemented choices I think are not going to move, but we'll see. Same you never here. know. I like Tatum O'Neill a lot in Bad News Bears. We'll see. We will see. And then in our throwback challenge, we are going to once again lean on the Criterion channel, this time for a flat-out, bona fide classic that neither of us have ever seen, 1953's Tokyo Story, directed by the legendary Yasujiro Ozu. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I think we've talked about this before. We've seen 
a bit of it. Yeah, I, I've seen the first 30 minutes, and that, but that was like almost 10 years ago. So Same. I haven't seen it any of it in a while, and I think it was just about the same amount. I've seen the beginning, and I don't know how far I got into it, but and this is another one of those Criterion movies that I rented from the library almost every time I went. I was like, okay, this time I'm going to get to it. This time I'm, I never did. Still I, haven't. I, I, for me, at least, I'm speaking for myself, I, I'm almost thankful that I'm watching it now because I don't know if, I'd, if I would have had the patience for it at that time to really appreciate and enjoy it the way I, the sure. way I know that I can now that I'm 38. Yeah, and this... That's the one great thing that I love about our show is that we're now forcing ourselves to do things like this. Yeah. So yeah. Really looking forward to that. This is going to be uh, as much fun as this episode was. Next week is going to be bananas. The new Bill and Ted, <laughs> the best child performances, and then a Ozu classic that's black and white from the 50s and in Japanese. Yeah, so I'm going to have to fit in Bill and Ted's bogus journey just to refresh myself, I think, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and then maybe follow that up. That's a nice double billing. Bogus journey and uh, Tokyo story is a palate cleanse. Perfect. Yes. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess we'll see you next time. Sure. Yeah, we can do that. Yeah, we'll see you next time on the Film Harmonic. Substitute.